Welcome to PwC's Tax Reform Readiness podcast series. This podcast is an excerpt from PwC's Tax Reform Readiness webcast series held on February 21, 2018, focusing on interim financial reporting following U.S. tax reform. The panelists for the webcast were Ken Kuykendall, PwC's Tax Services Leader, Andy Ruggles, a PwC tax partner and leader of our Tax Reporting and Strategy Group, Teresa Peacock, PwC tax partner in our tax reporting and strategy group, and Chaz Walter, a PwC tax partner focusing on our industry tax practice. This podcast excerpt consists of a discussion among the panelists on operationalizing tax reform. So why don't we jump into the next section? Andy, I'm going to come to you on this one, but I hear you talk a lot about operationalizing this all and what it means. So we've talked about all the different drivers and all the things that need to be focused on, but maybe dive a little deeper and talk about what it means to operationalize some of these things from your perspective. Yeah, so I think there's a couple of things, Ken. So first I would say is um, I mentioned most organizations have assessed the tax law. Most organizations understand what the impact is. And so now it's a question of prioritizing what are the biggest impact areas to you. And so we've listed what we're going to take a deep, I wouldn't say a deep dive, but a quick deep dive in towards what are some of the key data points. Um, But we think there's a few themes, right? Your forecasting data, the guilty, the beat, the FTII, and we'll touch on interest deduction as well. And Ken, maybe kick it to the next slide and let me frame what I mean by um, operationalize um, tax reform. So the way I look at these calculations, right, is we, we need to pull data, right, in order to feed into what is the second bucket of calculation logic. And I would say by and large that we as an organization and, and our clients have spent a lot of time deeply in the calculation logic, meaning what, is, what exactly does this rule mean? Um, how exactly does it apply to our organization? And um, can I get some more guidance? Because some of these things are not clear what to do because we'd like to consider uh, – whether there's any planning we want to execute. And so that's going to be a really big ongoing focus. However, I would say what we're going to focus on for the next 15 or 20 minutes is really like what are the data points you need to pull? And let's be more specific about what's going to be challenging. So we're going to run through some examples, but that's our focus today. And regardless of where you are as an organization, if you are doing planning or you are waiting on further guidance, I would make the case that everybody could start focusing on unpacking the calculations and what are the feeders into those calculations because the day will come where you got to run the calc and and that'll and the data will still be there that likely won't change. We also will touch on the downstream effect of like how do we go through the review and internal controls as well as like pull it all together into an ultimate rate calc. And so we're going to try and package how do you bring that all together. Yeah, important distinction you're getting to is early days after the passage of uh, the Tax Cut and Job Act, what I saw was a lot of focus on looking at prior year returns, running an XML file of the prior year returns, understanding how those provisions work. Okay, well, that's data we already have. What you're getting to is, okay, now look forward and say, where do I get that data starting this year, and how do I get it much earlier in the process than just in the filing of a tax return? Yeah, I think so. In the spirit of that, let's jump into, and Teresa, maybe you can help us unpack legal entity and forecasting and talk about that. Sure. So as we think about legal entity forecasting, I think most people would say it's very difficult to get a legal entity level forecast from FP&A, and if you can get it, probably walk down the hall and hug your FP&A contact. <laughs> um, because 
that is going to be a real struggle for a lot of companies. And so what we're talking with several big companies about is actually taking and deconstructing the FP&A process. So working very closely, sitting down in workshops and figuring out where is that data coming from, because it is generally consolidated, whether it's around business lines or regions, um, but very high level. But they get underlying information that they then build up into a forecast. So given the recent changes that we've had in technology and analytics capabilities, if we think about the things that either we could use if they're doing it in Hyperion Planning or BPC, maybe they're using something more like Vina or Altrix, there's a number, Excel maybe. However, FP&A is pulling that together. Is there a way to, for tax to use that technology and leverage how they're building it up to possibly build it up differently to get to a legal entity forecast? And then it might also be taking your transfer pricing methodology and layering that on to that buildup. So figuring out how you might get better forecast of that because you do you need forecast for a number of different things that we're coming into and so how do we go about it differently and that is going to require teaming that will probably require some IT effort and figuring that out along with the allocation of the intercompany so you know management fees royalties things like that th getting those actually allocated during the year to forecasted data to get to the effective tax rate is just a new dynamic for most of us so most people did a good job of it it's got to be more refined now under a territorial regime. The, go ahead. No, just to cover the transfer pricing point real quick, and Pop, because I, I think it's an excellent point, a lot of what's happened in the transfer pricing space is the heroic sort of Excel spreadsheet that tracks all the intercompany charge-outs that need to happen on the top side that somehow gets pushed out after the fact right. or as part of a year-end process or something along those lines. And to your point, I'm trying to deal with legal entity forecasting right now, which means I need to understand what those charges are. And on top of it, when you start to think about BEAT, there's an alternative tax base with and without a lot of those intercompany payments. So that, that's a, a, a big part of the exercise that needs to be match, matched with the FP&A process. So it's, it's a great point. Right. So people struggled even on actuals. Now we're trying to get it into forecast. Um, the other thing that is definitely emerging is the thought of pre predictive analytics. So on a consumer front, most companies are going out and predicting what consumers will buy. They're starting to acquire technology and artificial intelligence to help them project what will happen. FP&A is now starting to explore that as well to project better what the business results will be. Is there the opportunity, and certainly this is probably a longer-term solution, but how does tax align with that and get very involved? This isn't going to change as a dynamic. So there's probably a short-term way that, well, that you can get to legal entity income by what we just talked about, but how do you align with what finance is likely doing over time to get better results themselves and better predictions that go off more than just an increase over prior year, a growth percentage. When you start really thinking about environmental factors, predictive analytics is probably something that will get some traction in finance and tax should be involved with. Yeah, and, and I think you make very good points. On the legal entity data, um, I think tax has been asking for legal entity data mm -hmm. since uh, you know I graduated college, I guess, or probably before. Um, now that we're asking for more detailed legal entity data, um, and get, forecasts. And, for, and <laughs> forecasts. What, what I would anticipate, um, I, I think sometimes there's a reaction of we're not going to put that into our financial accounts uh, for something that's needed once a year, meaning the perception being the tax return. Um, and this was before tax reform. I think if the answer is going to be a similar answer now as far as what the organization is willing to do, uh, the, the controllers group, um, that getting that answer earlier rather than later is going to be important. Um, don't kind of dance around that issue of are we going to be able to get legal entity data for months and months and months. If the answer is going to be no, it's better to know it 
sooner, especially with things like self-service BI, some of the things that you're talking about where, you know, even three or four years ago, those those tools were not available. So so if the answer is going to be no on legal entity data, where you're really at the core of, of the transactions where you're going to want to get it, then I think ter- turning to self-service BI and getting people up to speed on how to use it is, is going to be um, the best way in large organizations with hundreds of legal entities. Yep, I agree. And then I think the other one of per- forecasting permanent and temporary differences by jurisdiction, while you don't necessarily have to project a temporary for your FIN 18 calc, you do need taxable income for modeling some of the other calcs. So there is this additional level of maybe people hadn't spent as much time on it under FIN 18, Guilty and BEAT are going to require some additional analysis there as well. Um, and then just scalability. Whatever we build out to calculate legal entity forecasts, taxable income has to be scalable as the rules are clarified. Um, and then modeling capabilities, a lot of people are looking for how do I model once I project this, how can I model it based on certain assumptions, certain transactions, if they have a deal in the middle of all of this. I've got several clients that are also undergoing deals because the M&A activity is picking up. So layer that on top of all of this complexity, you just really need some technology solutions to it tackle It seems this. like the big takeaway is just getting to FP&A, talking about the enhanced need for legal entity accounting, and recognizing that as the finance organization is undergoing change, so we see a lot of change happening in finance more broadly, um, tax, it sounds a little cliche, but tax more than ever needs to be pushing for some of the legal entity accounting or developing options that um, maybe need to be done somewhere in some type of middleware. Yeah, mm-hmm. and some of the components, like the, yep. the capital spend, so how yep. to get to the tax adjustments, the intercompany, that forecasting really just hasn't happened for a lot of companies previously. Yep. I think, Chaz, we're over to you, spending a little bit of time talking about some specific issues around the guilty calculation. Yeah, we we wanted to to dive in, or uh, I guess a shallow dive, but but <laughs> but take a dive in several areas that we view as common um, to most multinationals, right? Um, and the guilty uh, is one that um, when you look at data requirements, and you touched on them several times there, this is one where there are going to be a lot of data requirements. So, and just coming up with tested income and tested loss. Um, you know, potentially CFC by CFC, um, that, you know, getting to the legal entity level is going to be difficult. Um, you throw in the wrinkle that it, it may need to be calculated based on U.S. tax principles, uh, which companies have not done, uh, had no need to do. Um, you layer in that complexity. Uh, you, you layer in the, the complexity of uh, calculating your, your QBI um, based on ADS where, I think a lot of companies, uh, understandably, over the years, looked at gap accounting as a, a good enough proxy for um, EMP depreciation. Um, so, but now, there, you know, it could be a bigger driver, and whether it's you're going to be thrown into a guilty in any given uh, CFC or overall. So, I think those need to be taken into into consideration. I think um, the other need for this higher level of detail of forecasting is going from a regime where your foreign tax credits were in various pools with carryovers and you had the ability to uh, make adjustments on audit um, to your foreign tax credit carryovers, um, determine there were more taxes in a jurisdiction. Yeah, maybe they were attributable to two years ago, but they're in my pool and they're creditable. 
Um, I think the forecasting now and the annual calculation of these inclusions and the foreign taxes attached to those inclusions, because it's on an annual basis and I, I kind of view it as use it or lose it from a foreign tax credit standpoint, there's going to be a lot more pressure on, I think you mentioned before, um, it's not just, you know, getting the foreign tax credit pool from any given jurisdiction. It's I need the pool by year. Um, I need to understand how much of this is a, ta is a tax payment related to a prior year that an audit got settled or all these all these things. And you got to believe that eventually when all this falls into place, I think two things could happen. What kept coming back to me is um, going from the M1 years ago to the M3, which was sort of, okay, you can't just give us your U.S. book income to start with, right? you got to give us global and then reconcile. Those reconciliations are difficult. But I think, you know, if you fast forward a certain amount of time, who knows what it's going to be, two years, there might be a new version of the M3, maybe it's the M5, I don't know. But the detail that you're going to have to show potentially on reconciling your global income back to what's on your tax return I think is one more reason why this detail level of data is going to be necessary. So I'll throw one more thing in here on guilty, which is, and I, I think most people recognize this, and that's um, with multinationals, I think historically they've been able to take, um, say, the top 10 or 15% of their CFCs that, was, that were generating 95% of their deemed inclusions and, and actual dividends, take a deep dive, understand the EMP, uh, understand the tax pools for a period of time. That's got to be all the foreign entities. I mean, that's got you've got to do it across the board because of the guilty provisions. And even if you're you're you know forecasting your foreign tax rate is is greater than the 13.125 percent um, because of some issues with losses um, and whether you pull taxes with them, there are lots of um, technical issues that you're going to have to pull into these this data stream as well. So. Com completely agree on that point. And just, I want to go to Andy and get him to do a similar walkthrough on the beat side. But before we get there, Teresa, you mentioned this earlier around forecasting and the need to look at this. And then I, I look at the, the slides that we've got up there and the number of data sources that come into play here. Just a point to be made, and that is going forward in this system, you are going to have to model up the consequences of some of these calculations on a real-time basis just about any time you're taking a cross-border position because trying to understand how a cross-border position is going to impact you can be completely counterintuitive when you layer in all these positions. So it's not as if setting up these data requirements you're talking about are just there to drive a quarterly provision exercise, a year-end provision exercise, a tax return. You've got to be in a position to access this data on a regular basis to be able to um, work just regular modeling to, to make sense out of any sort of cross-border decision you're going to make. So I just, I just think it's going to be a really onerous thing for people to manage. And the more, and we'll talk about this later, the more we get in front of the data requirements and some of the systems capabilities, the better off people are going to be. Yep. Maybe with that, I'll pivot over to you, and we'll yep. dive into the beat side, and you yep. can maybe walk through a little bit of the data requirements there. Yeah, I think so. So big picture, right? So the beat is what many people would say is sort of another form of a minimum tax. And so in order to get to, to compute the beat, you really have got to get to your uh, modified taxable income. And to get to your modified taxable income, you've got to make adjustments for base roading payments. And so if you drill down to the, the calculation, and we could walk through a flow of the calc, we're not going to do that here. The question is, how do I? what are those adjustments? And how do I drill in and determine what they are? 
Well, I'm going to go into one example. One is going to be around intercompany accounting and looking at your trading partners within your intercompany accounting and looking at your payors and your payees. And the question ultimately I'm drilling down to, and so you can see the level of detail we've got to drill into, is is that payee a qual uh, qualified foreign-related party for which I should include that base ordering payment in the calc that takes me from taxable income down to my modified taxable income, which then feeds into the actual calc. And so there's a lot of um, things to consider in terms of how you compute the beat. Um, but I would say that's one example of where we see a lot of organizations say, are they really capable on an interim basis to drill into the payor and payee and determine is that base road and payment or not? And so there's a couple of things you can do about that. Um, one of the big um, areas we focus on is trying to connect those more real-time so you can drill into that and get more real-time I'll call it operational transfer pricing. I would say that's one area. Um, a second area I'll touch on real quickly is cost of goods sold. So that's an excluded from the base eroding payment to get to your modified taxable income. Um, we're seeing discussion, uh, and we've talked about this on prior webcasts, around looking at your uh, 263 cap A calc and what goes into your inventory. And does that, is our organizations taking a fresh look at what's going into that inventory calc to get excluded, just making sure these are things we haven't looked at for a long time. Now, with cost of goods sold being excluded from the beat in the way we talked about, um, these are level of details that we see organizations either needing to get to, right, to compute what is my modified taxable income, right, so digging into the, the transfer pricing and intercompany accounts, or even taking a fresh look at how are we classifying things that otherwise feed into COGS, uh, cost of goods sold, and, um, you know, just making sure it's all part of the validation of do we have a good beat calc and are we properly capturing this because ultimately that will be uh, potentially an incremental minimum tax. So I just sort of said a lot there, but those are a couple of examples of where um, these are real issues that may require you to, rather than deal at a consolidated layer, dig, dig into the subledger and really the transaction detail and how can we do that. One of the opportunities, and Chaz, you mentioned this a minute ago, is there's a lot of different tools that have emerged for tax functions to look at that allow easier extraction of some of the ledger level detail where you can truly introduce some analytics to um, you know, look at a mass uh, amount of information in a much more structured way and an easier way that puts the, the power in the hands of the tax professional. Um, there's also opportunities to deal with this around just the automation within the intercompany accounting. Um, to stay on theme and on point around the data, a lot of data you got to dig into to make sure you've got the right adjustments to get to modified taxable income. Yeah, Make sense? No, agree. And, and you made a point early on, the degree of sensitivity of getting your transfer pricing controls yep. in place over this is huge. So, yep. And layering on that, actually, for Q1, it's forecasted data, and there's not a 118 exception. So you need to get a realistic forecast into in the next few weeks for calendar company and the rules aren't clear and the rules aren't clear <laughs> but other than that but i'm going to so i'm going to challenge i'm just going to say focus on the challenge which is we still know what data we want to drill into subject to determining how we run the calc so my challenge is unpack the calculation mm -hmm. dig into the adjustments and figure out where are you going to find those those are all things people can do right now and should be doing right now I completely agree okay. So, Teresa, I'm going to come to you, maybe a similar but a quicker analysis on FDII, okay. and then um, and then we'll jump into yeah, the and interesting expense A lot of the similar side. concepts of having 
tangible assets under ADS, the payor-payor relationships and being able to analyze those. This one also pulls in, so it's iterative, so it pulls in the guilty calculation, your subpart F calculation. And so really this one to me feels like a lot of different data coming together and a lot of analysis, maybe not as big of a population where you have to dig in like beat, but it's a lot of small pieces that are going to come together to come up with the answer. And so won't beat a dead horse, a lot of data needs, how do you pull them together, and how do you make it iterative so that you can pull those pieces as they, your estimates around the other pieces change, how do you pull them through the full calculation? And that's the one where I think this one, a lot of data and iterative nature are gonna make it very ripe for technology and data solutions as people need to model what this will look like. Completely agree. Well, it's fair to say that's like, if, so you can model anything in Excel or spreadsheets, mm -hmm. um, but this is the type of thing that can put a lot of pressure. And we'll talk more about sort of the, the case for uh, introducing automation mm -hmm. with the blank sheet of which, which we have in these new sets of rules. Right. But yeah, agree. Chaz, why don't we come over to you, maybe last in our sweep through some of these provisions and some of the data requirements. You can cover off just the interest expense limitation provisions and some of the data sources there and challenges. Yeah, I mean, I think most on the on the on the webcast uh, know the the thirty percent um, limitation and and how it's measured. There there was a recent uh, communication that uh, the IRS and Treasury will be issuing guidance that that limitation applies at the consolidated filer level, which was not clear, probably still isn't clear, but we're we're looking for that guidance, um, which which makes more sense. Um, I, I would say there's less as far as a a, a massive data need around 163J. Um, but I think one of the things that we've been thinking about is um, the variability in, in earnings. Um, you know, that can throw you in, throw you into the 30% pretty quickly with a loss transaction. It's something to build into your forecasting. It's something to build into your modeling. Um, and I would say the other area where we've seen a lot of focus is on the state side when it comes to conformity and non-conformity and separate returns and unitary returns. Um, and this also goes back to, I think, you know, some of the self-service BI that um, where it used to be spreadsheets and the spreadsheets are set up to, you know, have your separate returns and your unitary returns and combine and so forth. Now that we're layering in not only interest deductibility, but we're lay layering in guilty and how the states are going to treat it and we're layering FDII and all these things, it's it's one more reason to move more towards a smarter tool. Um, and, you know, 163J is, is one of those. With that, thank you very much for joining our Tax Reform Readiness Series. And speakers, I really appreciate you joining me for a real thoughtful dialogue on a topic that I think people really got to dig into right now. So thanks very much. If you would like further information about this topic, please email the participants whose email addresses can be found in the description of this episode.